Hello and welcome to the second episode of The Cult of Pop, the brand new podcast by yours truly, Brian Stevens, where we talk about all things pop culture, sports, movies, television, books. Um, so far, we've talked about uh, the MCU, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about movies. I have with me today a very special guest. He is a former listener of the Midnight Film Review my previous podcast, and um, was probably one of the first listeners to email us, and it's really exciting to hear your voice. Drew Masciarelli, how are you doing? Oh, how are you, Brian? I'm doing pretty good. It's 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 awesome to uh, to get to talk to you. I, I'm, I've been looking forward to, to this moment. You know, it's exciting. Thank you for having me on. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about what, what it means to be a millennial slash- Gen Zer, you're you're right on the edge. We we spoke beforehand, and you're close to being to, to being on that edge. Um, what it means to discover film for uh, a young person. You're a freshman in college, correct? A uh, sophomore. Sophomore in college. I apologize. No um, so you're you're in co- you're a college student, and uh, you found your way to film. I feel like you found your way a little different than I did. Um, so we're gonna talk about that, and then we're going to have a spoiler filled review of Jordan Peele's latest horror film, Us, uh, which I'm super excited to talk to you about because I haven't got to talk to anybody about this movie yet, so I'm uh, I'm super stoked. It's uh, a wild one. Yes, it is. All right, so Drew, let me just off the jump. Tell me um, a little bit about your experience with film. How old were you? What got you into it? Um, I'm going to let you ramble for a little while. Yeah, so I think, I think what largely started me like watching a lot of movies is like right after I turned 16, I started working at a movie theater and kind of through that, I was just, I was basically seeing everything that came out because I had like no hobbies and like nothing else to do. So like what better to do than see every movie that's released in theaters. And I think that also largely shaped how cynical I became about most of the stuff that came out. And I kind of developed a hatred towards a lot of like a more, not mainstream. I don't want to come off as sounding like elitist or pretentious. Um, but like, I saw so many like superhero movies and so many like movies, like 13 hours or like London has fallen. Um, that I feel like I just kind of ruined a lot of stuff like that for myself by seeing them all the time. Um, but I also kind of learned what I liked, um, kind of through doing that. Cause honestly, before I worked at the theater, I, I'd see maybe two movies in theaters a year. Like I'd see like Avengers and like, like Godzilla and movies like that with my dad. Um, Cause like, you know, theaters are expensive. It's expensive to go buy movie tickets. Um, but you know, once I started working there and I worked there up until January of this year um, and was seeing most of the stuff that came out, it got harder once I uh, went to college only because, um, you know, living here, getting to the theater is way harder and like being a little more strapped for money. Um, yeah, but I think working there kind of largely shaped me becoming really passionate about it because it just became something I did, uh, all the time is go to the theater and watch movies. What, what, so it's a relative, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you uh, off, but what, what made you, what made you get a job, uh, at a theater? Cause I think that's, that's uh, interesting. Um, there's honestly, my dad just saw it on Craigslist and he's like, Hey, why don't you go, why don't you go apply here? I was like, yeah, okay. Um, it wasn't really. Because, like, I, I liked movies. Like, I'd watch, like, movie reviews on YouTube and stuff and just, like, watch them once they came out on Redboxed. 
because I, I didn't like follow movie release schedules as like religiously as I do now. I didn't keep up with movie news at the time. Um, but it was just kind of like, oh yeah, that would be that would be a fun job, a little more interesting, like a grocery store or like Walmart or something. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I couldn't. I mean, I'm kind of envious of you. Actually, my first job was at a restaurant, and it was uh, actually my first job was at a blueberry patch. That I got fired from. <laughs> uh, so I would much rather. I, you know, looking back, it never seemed like a, an option. I don't know why, but. The, um, so you mentioned like kind of the cynicism that came along with seeing the these uh quote unquote blockbuster type movies uh and i've mm-hmm. noticed it in your in your letterbox re- re- reviews uh <laughs> you, you you really don't like superhero movies that much and i find that really fascinating um because you're kind of at the age where superhero movies are the norm whereas i grew up and it was they were either really good or really terrible and there was no consistency in between um did you have do you have a a memory of uh when you were just finding like okay enough is enough with with the the superhero movies i can't take anymore um i'm trying to think i don't remember what came out if marvel had a movie winter of 2015 which is when i started working there but i know because February of 2016, no Deadpool came out. And, like, everyone was raving about how much they love Deadpool. And I just thought it was kind of lame. Like, the sense of humor didn't really do anything for me. And it was kind of, like, through me wanting to be a contrarian and thinking that that movie was kind of annoying. But I kind of turned on. Because, like, Avengers came out. And I really liked Avengers when I saw that. Um, when I was younger, I really loved, like, Chris Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. I've kind of soured on those sense. But that's a whole other <laughs> that's a whole <laughs> other conversation. Um but yeah, I think it was probably Deadpool that was kind of that turning point for me where I was like, okay, like, because I think Deadpool marks a kind of a period in superhero movies where they've become so self-aware that like, because Deadpool's very self-referential, like self-deprecating movie where it's like, yeah, we know we're a superhero movie, but it doesn't really do anything to break the mold. Like, mm-hmm. it makes fun of the fact that it isn't doing that, but it doesn't do enough to actually like... Like, it challenges it through its, like, it, its dialogue, but the ideas of Deadpool and like the structure of Deadpool is still like a very generic superhero movie, uh, which I think is largely to its detriment. I think Deadpool too, like kind of improved on some of that. Um, That's an interesting take that I haven't heard. And uh, I wish we had more time, maybe in a future episode, we can, we can get into that. I, I I think that you just, you, you did expose a little bit of the problems with the first Deadpool. Um, And so I think what you're saying, and tell me if I'm wrong, but some of the more, uh, cookie cutter elements of superhero movies is kind of off-putting to you. It doesn't really challenge your mind. You, uh, you know, I saw a tweet today where people were complaining about uh, getting spoiled for uh, potentially spoiled for Endgame, and someone said, "How can you be spoiled for Endgame? You know what's going to happen. They're all going to be everything's going to be okay in the end." Yeah. Um, is that? Am I hitting that on the head? It just the, the fact that you, we, the good guys always win and the bad guys always lose. I think it's a mix of that and then just like there are so many of them like every couple of months like Shazam is out right now which I haven't got around to saying I'm curious to see it um, because based off the trailers it has like a very Spider-Man Homecoming vibe to me which is one that I actually really enjoyed um, I do I like Spider-Man a lot but yeah and like because Infinity War came out and I had that spoiled ahead of time and like that was surprising and I think that movie like probably would have impacted me a little bit more in terms of just like shock value had I not known 
what was going to happen. I think I saw like a Reddit post that spoiled it. Um, and I don't know anything about Endgame. And I'm going to see like, I'm not excited to see Endgame, but it's like kind of a, it's a big moment in film because like it's, it marks the end of this like, like a 10 year period of Marvel movies. Um, and like, I want to go into that knowing as little as possible just so I can like get as much out of it as I can. Um, but yeah, I think they've become like really, really boilerplate, which like, I understand why people like them. Like they're fun movies, but I also think people in certain circumstances kind of make them out to be a little bit more than they are um, in some ways. Sure. No, I, I definitely, uh, I, Black Panther was the epitome of that f- for me, which I think Black Panther is one of the better Marvel movies. I agree. But it was the fact that it got nominated for an Oscar and then like people were just so in, enthralled by that movie. Um, I, I just didn't get it because to me it was just like every other Marvel movie, just slightly better. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, so I've had, I've had, I've had this theory. You've listened to the podcast and it's something that I, I, I've talked about for a long time. You know, we don't get, we have two types of movies, uh, indie funded movies for chump change, $10 million or less. And then huge blockbuster movies for hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and I think that, action movies in the past tended to fall in between there. And we don't have those movies being made anymore, at least mm-hmm. few and far between heroes. Superheroes are new action films um, yeah. for, for good and for bad, I think. And um, more, more bad. Um, but I, I want to, let's, let's go, let's get past uh, the superhero stuff. Cause I, I, I think that, um, that that gives me a better understanding of how you feel about movies because I you know when I look like on Letterbox, uh, one of your favorite films is Children of Men. That yeah, is a, that's I say that's my favorite. Yeah, that's your favorite film. That is extremely dark and um, um, but and powerful. But at the same time, there's hope at the end of that movie. Um, why do you love that movie so much? I think so. Children of Men, um, I think does a really interesting thing where like Theo Clive Owen's character is like very much a surrogate for the audience, which is like the point of a lot of movies. But a lot of people I've heard complain about just kind of like his general lack of, um, like his motivation isn't clear is a, is a complaint I've heard a lot. And I think kind of like the way his worldview changes throughout the movie is supposed to kind of mirror the, um, cause like, okay, the world of children of men is like, obviously like really terrible and bleak and there's really no hope until like he finds his one little thing and holds on to it and like so there's all like the human project is this organization that is supposed to like oh there might be other pregnant women on the planet and like we're gonna help rebuild civilization and he doesn't know that that's real um but it's this kind of like uncertain drive to like maybe i can change something like yeah the world is super fucked up but maybe i can like unfuck it a little bit um and because he he's just like a regular cynical dude. Like he's kind of tired of the world. Like he used to be like a political activist. Um, but then through just like seeing his son, spoilers for children of men, you've had time to see it. It's like 12 years old. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> but like saw his son die, uh, divorced his wife. Um, all these people that were close to him kind of dripped away from him. And then having something very, sig- like very small, but like super significant in the grand scheme of the world that children of men sets up kind of drives him to like, okay, maybe I can change something. And I think that all, so kind of like coincides with a lot of my own like worldviews personally um but yeah that that movie means a lot to me uh i'm assuming that you didn't see that in in the theater 
No, I saw it for the first time on a laptop in the car. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So the the be- the way Alfonso Cuaron intended it for intended for it to be seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In sure. A laptop in a car for sure. Yeah, a shaky um, car. Um. So, do you have an affinity for a, a way to view films? I think that leads me to my next question because growing up, um. I'm gonna sound like like a like a like a, like a dad here, even though I'm not a dad yet. Still got a, a week of, hey, of congrats. thanks of freedom left. Um, so, you know, when I was growing up, we had there's two ways to see a movie: either you saw it in a small window release, or you had to wait six months for it to come out on VHS uh, and then DVD eventually. Um, so, a lot of my discovery of film was uh, I, I grew up in a pretty small town in northern Ohio was going to the local uh pharmacy uh this was even before blockbuster or uh this, people people would rent movies at their homes and you, so you'd go into their house and they would have a, a, like a library of movies that, to choose from or the actual library um mm-hmm. and so a lot of movies that i saw you know i didn't see when they came out i saw you know for instance pulp fiction i didn't see till several years later um do you do you is there a is there a, a particular way you like viewing movies? Because I mean, I feel like a lot of people your age, and I don't want to sound like one of the damn millennials, um, yeah. but uh, there is people aren't going to the theater as much as they used to. I love seeing movies in the theater. I prefer seeing them in the theater. I love the atmosphere. I love everything about it, uh, except for the price point. <laughs> How do you prefer to see a movie? I mean, if I can see a movie in the theaters, like that's going to be my first choice every time. Like I think one of the coolest movie going experience i've ever had is over last summer um chris nolan actually did a a re-release of 2001 a space odyssey in imax and i saw that and like i had seen that movie probably in its entirety but like broken up a little bit before but i think that was like probably the coolest way to see that movie and like yeah a theater every time um but i think right now there's also like a lot of elitism coming out of the film industry like i know there's the whole controversy recently with uh steven spielberg being like oh roma shouldn't have been eligible for for an oscar because it was a netflix release and like really um lobbying against netflix and like steven released fucking ready player one last year like i don't really care what he has to say about (laughs) like art house movies right now um but yeah i mean i think because as you were saying before like there's a lot less like middle budget movies coming out now like if if a movie doesn't make like a hundred million dollars it's a failure um so it's I think like stuff like Netflix um, and other streaming services have also been really good for like film discovery. Like my favorite movie this year so far, Paddleton, was like a little Netflix release in January that nobody talked about, nobody saw. Um, but like the movie got made because Netflix funded it and Netflix put it on their platform, and I think that's great. And the movie wouldn't have made any money in theaters. Bird Box uh, came out last year, not a good movie, but if that movie came out in theaters, it would have absolutely tanked. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that like it became the biggest thing in the world for like two weeks, I think is a testament to like the way film distribution has changed a little bit. But yeah, if I can see it in theaters, I will. Like I saw Roma in theaters, which I was like really grateful for because that movie also like another, another theory I have is like a lot of people like, Oh, you have to see this movie in theaters. You have to see this movie in theaters. But if a movie doesn't stand like hold up, if you're watching it at home on your TV, like, is it really like, yeah, it could be like an experience in a theater but does it really hold up or is it really like 
is it that good if you can't watch it at home and still get something out of it? Like people say that about like Dunkirk, which like I also saw Dunkirk and IMAX, which is like a cool way to experience that. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I think that's an interesting point. But so you were ta- so, but I, I I'm going to push back a little bit because I, and I, yeah. I, this will just be a counterpoint. I think so. A movie like um, a movie like 2001. You mentioned seeing it in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, that movie. I feel like if I the first time I saw that movie, if it was in a theater, I would be much. It would be much easier to pay attention to it, uh, yeah. and to really experience it at home. There's so many different distractions that could kind of take you out of that film. Um, I do see what you're saying, though. If the movie, if it's a good movie, I mean, I'm probably going to be gripped and watching it, whether it's on a big screen or whether it's at home. Um, I think that like the distractions at home kind of take away from the experience for me anyways. Um, I don't like, uh, I find myself, um, you know, going to the bathroom much more often at home mm-hmm. than I would in the theater. In the theater, I'll just, I'll hold it until I can't hold it anymore. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, but, um, I definitely see what you're saying, but don't, but, but, how, but what do you think about that? The idea that like a movie, like I think 2001 space Odyssey is a perfect example of a movie that if you're watching it at home could kind of be a slog yeah definitely um i think you know you're gonna get it's like more of like an audio visual kind of experience seeing in a the theater um but i think you can still watch it at home and be like yeah this is a great movie um like there are certainly movies that you'll get way more out of for seeing in a the theater and like i definitely still think that's the way to see movies like i won't i'm not saying that like oh yeah every movie is just as good on your phone <laughs> right because um, that's stupid like the ceo of netflix is like oh yeah viewers are gonna love watching roma on their phones i'm like the audio design of that movie is just mind-boggling and watching it out of a phone speaker <laughs> is like <laughs> what are you doing um but yeah no i definitely agree that like i have a hard time getting through like a three-hour movie sitting on, on my couch at home without like pulling my phone out or like taking a break and going to do something else um so it's definitely like the ideal way to see stuff but i don't think that it's fair to just like totally write off seeing movies on like different through different um methods now that they're available i do think i do i am jealous a little bit of of someone like you because um you have the opportunity to see uh, pretty much any movie you want at your fingertips um mm-hmm. uh at such a young age whereas like I, like i mentioned before like there are movies that i had to you know, go on the streets and fight for to see, Yeah, you know, like I'm being a little facetious, but like it, it, there are movies that I didn't get to experience until way later because, um, either one, they weren't released in my hometown. I wasn't, they weren't available to rent. Um, I had to, you know, search it, search out, uh, different means to get them, um, you know, illegally possibly, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I, for all the complaining of someone like Steven Spielberg, I do I agree with you. There is something special uh, happening. I think uh, in terms of writers, directors, and creators being able to get things made, unlike mm-hmm. ever before. Because you don't necessarily need even need a Netflix, Amazon platform. You there are cer- there are certain ways to get things shown. Um, if you if you have the ability to, to make a website, you could put a you can put a movie out. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know it, it doesn't it doesn't take lots of money, um, yeah, so I, I'm with you. I I, th- I, I agree that uh, this is a, a special time, and and sometimes um, we become so nostalgic for the ways the way things were, uh, because 
it was, I don't know, anytime something is harder, uh, people value it more. But at the same time, there is something to be said about things being easy and accessible. Um, just being better. And I, and I, uh, like a movie, for instance, a movie like, um, triple frontier Mm -hmm. that came out in the theater. I would have probably never seen it. Um, the reviews weren't great. Uh, I, I love the cast, but I'm not a huge fan of the director. And uh, honestly, uh, the trailer wasn't anything, and it just didn't seem like something I would be that into. But when I sat on my couch and watched it, I was like, huh, this is not that bad. And I, I it was kind of long, too. That was the other thing is it's like a little over two, two hours, like 15, 20 minutes. But I f- sat on my couch and I watched that movie, and I was like, huh, that, I'm glad I didn't have to go to the movies and see that. You know, like that was a perfectly fine movie to sit on my couch and watch. Um, and I, and I'm glad I saw it, but I probably would have never experienced that movie in a, in a theater and it wouldn't have made it better probably being in a theater, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I think also think like the, the rise of distribution companies like a 24 and like focus features and stuff, um, also kind of gives the ability, like a movie like eighth grade, which is one of my favorites from last year would never have probably never have gotten released by like Sony or Warner brothers or something. And just like there are smaller companies or even like Netflix, which is way more willing, willing to take risks because they're not worried about box office numbers. They just need to like keep their profit margins within how much they're making off of subscriptions. And I think that like the fact that these companies exist making movies on like way more shoestring budgets than like an Avengers movie um, is really, really cool. And I think it's really good for the industry. Do your friends have, have any impact on your, your viewing? Uh, so like when I was growing up, like, you know, part of the issue with seeing a movie is I had to convince my friends to see it as well. So Mm -hmm. that was a, you know, that was a a big thing is like, Hey, let's rent some movies. And there I was, I I was always the guy that would like pick out something. uh, I'm just trying to think something ridiculous off the top of my head. Oh, like Mulholland drive. And my friends would be like, what the fuck is this? Why are you making me watch this movie? Um, so, you know, I had that stigma stuck to me for a while or, you know, like trying to get friends to go to theater and see it. Um, how how does the, the horse is, alive um how does the how does the peers how does your peers play into your your viewing i think i'm pretty fortunate in that a lot of my friends are also really into film um which i'm just i consider myself pretty lucky for that because like i have a lot of people i can talk to about movies um which and i we all have slightly different tastes but like, especially also working at the theater, I'd get, like, free tickets all the time. So it was, like, you had nothing to lose from, oh, yeah, we just went to the theater and saw a shitty movie. Oh, well. I think now that people have to pay for stuff, it's going to get a little trickier, like, deciding what to see. And, like, honestly, I think I'm probably most at fault for that because, like, nine times out of ten, I'll probably be, like, completely indifferent to a movie or, like, not like it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think if I didn't have friends and, like, peers that were also into movies i'd have a similar issue because like i've shown i try to show my dad a lot of movies that i like and it's usually he's usually like oh my god that was so bizarre uh like i showed him like it comes at night and he's like how do you enjoy this this is it's so dark um (laughs) it comes at night is like a phenomenal movie in my opinion but your dad has a really a thick new england accent i it sounds like oh when he gets mad yeah (laughs) um that was great yeah I think I think I'm pretty lucky in that regard that I know a lot of people who are into film that I can see stuff with and talk about. 
Because um, I know, like, last year, I know um, I did, like, a three-and-a-half-hour-long podcast where I sat down with two of my friends, and we just talked about every single 2018 release we saw. And, like, one of my friends, Owen, who I know will listen to this, but saw, like, almost 100 movies from 2018, which is, like, such a grind and such a pain in the ass to do. That's incredible. Um, but, you know, I think I'm, I'm lucky in that aspect that I know people who or into it that's awesome yeah i i i I would i would say that that is a huge impact like uh, the friends that uh honestly that i probably stayed the closest to over my life are people that i uh grew up with watching watching movies with and um and and you mentioned your your dad a couple times did he did he have an impact on um on things that you like, like maybe movies that just growing up, like you're like eight, nine years old. I'm thinking 10 in the house and he's always watching the same movie or, you know, he talked about a, a particular actor or director. Did, did, did your family have any impact on you? Um, I know my grandmother is a huge Tolkien fan. So she showed me Lord of the Rings when I was really young, um, which are some of my favorite movies for a while. Um, so those are important to me. Um, my dad showed me like saving private Ryan and I was like nine, which was a mistake because I cried. But oh it's one of his favorite movies, and I appreciate that movie a lot. Um, but you know, that was a little bit too young. Yeah, for uh, sure. Um, well, I, th- I I bring this up because just because you know, so like I think like for me, um, you know, a huge effect that I had was my dad let me watch horror movies at a really young age, and so I had this weird affinity for for horror. Um, and it was a deep appreciation for the genre, but it wasn't like I was going to like, I don't know, gore fest 2009 or something. It was yeah. just like, um, the genre, he loved scary movies. He loved, um, you know, anything in the horror genre and he let me watch it at a pretty young age. And so, you know, to this day, I always say the horror genre is my favorite genre because those are typically movies that I can watch over and over and over again. Um, is there anything like that? Any type of genre, any type of movie that that you can uh, relate to to your family? Um, war movies I can always watch with my dad because, like, again, I mentioned Saving Private Ryan, but like, yeah, anytime something like that is like in theaters or like will be on Netflix, I'll watch those with him. Um, and Which, that's that's a, a, war movies are kind of an interesting genre for me though because I feel like they're either like phenomenal or like completely terrible, and there's not a lot of in between there. Um, like it takes a really talented director to like elevate a war movie to another level. For sure, um, well, I yeah. think like Terrence Malick, I think did a wonderful job with Thin Red Line, which is another one of my favorites. But that's one that I I kind of relate back a lot to my family. I already mentioned like fantasy movies. My grandmother loves like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, all that stuff. Um, so like even the bat like Aragorn, which is a terrible movie. I'm just like, oh, it's nice because they ride dragons. And, yeah, you know, like yeah. I appreciate that other people can kind of look past stuff that i've kind of like poisoned myself to hate <laughs> yeah um and like you know i think it's really sweet what would you say is your 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 biggest guilty pleasure as far oh, as as far as oh. films go movies that you just know um every, everybody else hates and that you know is shit but you have to you have to watch a really bad one or like not even bad but like really strange one is battle los angeles which is a 2011 like alien invasion movie i don't know if you've seen it yeah i've seen it <laughs> Um, I don't like, I was 12 when it came out and I like rented it from Redbox with my dad. And I just thought it was like the coolest thing ever. So like, damn, wow. They're really, they, it's just shooting aliens the entire time. Um, and like, it's a weirdly loaded cast too. Um, Aaron Eckhart, right? probably like five years. Aaron Eckhart's in it. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, that was a big one. 
Um, there's a lot of like just dumb comedies that I like a lot. Um, I mean, some of them are like heralded as like fantastic, but I've seen Superbad probably like upwards of 20 times. Like I can quote most of that movie from memory. Not that that's a guilty p- pleasure because I think it's like widely accepted as being good. Yeah, it's a, I love that um, movie. I'm trying to think of like so. Uh, he, here we go. Here, here's a question in, in, in along the lines of of guilty pleasure is so like for me, for instance, like there there's movies that I know like. Um, I would never recommend to another person, but mm-hmm. I will sit there and I'll watch it a million times over and over again. Um, yeah. One movie that comes to mind is The Burbs. Tom Hanks. I love this movie. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorite movies, but I understand why people don't like it. Um, there's a sense of nostalgia there with me. Like you mentioned watching Battle of Los Angeles with your, uh, running it with your dad. And I remember watching that movie with my family and it was a movie that you know we ended up buying on vhs and watching it until the tape tape wore out is there a movie like that that you could you could say that's really bad and you know it's bad but if it's on tv your family's probably gonna stop and watch it or you and your friends are probably gonna watch it or you might just be like you know what i'm having a shitty day i'm just gonna throw in this movie because it makes me feel good there is a weird one. It's, I believe, like 2010 or 11. It's like in the same vein of being terrible as The Room, but it's a movie called Love on a Leash. It's on Amazon Prime, and it's one of the strangest experiences I've ever had watching a movie. It's, I don't want to, because like, if you watch it, there's no way you can predict what direction it goes into, but it's about a woman who like falls in love with a golden retriever. And I don't want to say much outside of that. <laughs> what? Um, I've seen it like three or four times. It is, it is an endlessly fascinating movie. Um, it's structured in like the strangest way possible. There's a a composer credited for it, but there's no music. Uh, the dog <laughs> sings, but no one can hear him. It's <laughs> it is fascinating. I've it never is, heard of this. Uh... It is so strange. It it became kind of big because there's a YouTuber who talked about it last year in a video. Um, and like I think a lot of people discovered it through that. But it is it's one that I have a hard time recommending to people and like, I'll start with people or like, I'll put it on and we'll get like 15 minutes in. I'll be like, if people aren't feeling as well, shut it off. Cause it's not going to get better. Um, <laughs> and I, I, sometimes I have a problem with like the, like, Oh, it's so bad. It's good. Uh, Cause I find a lot of them boring. Like, I think the room is kind of played to death now. Oh, like sure. I've seen the room and like, I saw the disaster artist and like, I think it's a really interesting story how that movie got made, but it's kind of been done to death. So, like, I'm always looking for more movies that are just, like... Because what I appreciate about stuff like that is, like, there's clearly a lot of passion going behind it. Absolutely. And it completely falls flat. And they've just failed miserably. Right. But it's still, like, wow, they're really passionate about what they did. And there's something kind of touching about that. Yeah, no one's out... No, no one... I heard this on a podcast. No one sits out to make a shitty movie. Actually, it was no. Colin Farrell, actually, on Bill Simmons' podcast. He he was interviewing. He's like, no, he's like, you know, even the worst movie in the world, these people have a passion and a desire to make something that they think is going to be viewed by other people and enjoyed. No one sets out and says, I'm going to make a shitty movie. Yeah. Oh no, definitely. Um, and I think just like, I enjoy when you can see like, okay, I get what their vision was here and like, yeah, maybe it didn't land, but at least they tried and like, at least this movie got made. And I think that's like almost inspiring in a way. Um, Despite the fact that they made, like, a horrible piece of shit. (laughs) Well, Drew, if you haven't seen the general specific, I recommend that you should. I have not. (laughs) 
it's a terrible piece of shit, but it was made by yours truly with love and devotion. So, okay. <laughs> um, anything else you want to say about your experience with uh, movies and your love before we move on to this review? Um, I mean, I mean, I think a couple of the movies that kind of influenced me getting into stuff and like a couple of strange ones. I think I saw 10 Cloverfield Lane in theaters and I'm like, wow, that was like a really well crafted movie. And like, you know, there's issues that I have with the ending of that movie, but that like really influenced me. Like, okay, no, I, I get that movies can actually be like really good instead of like, oh yeah, it's like Planet of the Apes. Um, I think Arrival, which came out later the same year. Um, and like everyone loves Arrival, but Arrival had like a really profound impact on me. And like it came out recently, so I have a hard time being like, yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. But I think in terms of like walking out of a theater being really impacted by a movie, I think that's probably number one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those are those are two big ones. But and um, if I'm not mistaken, you mentioned it before. Ten Cloverfield Lane led you to me and Colin. It did because I was looking for podcasts where people talked about it. Um, and yours was the first one that popped up. So I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, and then wow. I just kind of kept the <laughs> You were like, these guys are not complete assholes. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I also think a lot of like movie podcasts are very centered around. Like, we just talk about star Wars or like, we talk about every superhero movie ad nauseum and only talk about the superhero news. And it's kind of rare that there's like a film podcast about, or like done by people who actually care about movies. So, you know, I think that also kind of kept me listening. But... Yeah. I totally agree with you. I, um, part of the reason I made a podcast, and this is way off topic, but I think it's uh, it, it's interesting, and maybe it's while it's what will lead you to continue to maybe make podcasts in the future, is um, I would watch a movie like like uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane is a great example, and uh, I would want to hear other people's thoughts about it, and uh, you know I would read reviews, and then I loved podcasts, and I would find one podcast, and they would talk about it, and then I would be like. Literally, there is no one else talking about this movie. Why are there yeah. no no? Why aren't people not talking about Ten Cloverfield Lane? It got good reviews, decent box office. It's a fun movie, and so that frustration, I was uh, I was like, you know what? There's a space people want to hear people talk about. I, they, I'm not the only one out there that feels this way. I ha- have to be, and so um, that's and that's kind of where Midnight Film Review came from. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know, I I'm glad that uh, you kept listening, obviously. And now we get to review a movie together. This is pretty That's awesome. True. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Um, all right. So we are going to review Us, the latest horror thriller from Jordan Peele, starring Lupita Nyong'o, uh, Winston Duke, Elizabeth Moss, Tim Heidecker, uh, Shadia Wright-Joseph, Evan Alex, and I think that's the main cast. Uh, this movie came out, was it two, is it two or three weeks ago? Week so I believe First yeah weekend of March I believe yeah maybe a little more than and this is the follow up to Jordan Peele's blockbuster hit Get Out from uh, a couple years ago uh, I was really looking forward to this movie I loved Get Out um, and the trailer for this I thought was just expertly crafted and um, really well done uh, does not give away too much of the movie kind of sets up. Um, some interesting uh, scenarios in your head going into the movie. Um, but I, oh, I, I guess I should say also, we are going to spoil the crap out of this. So if you haven't seen it, stop listening because we're going to spoil it. There's so, a lot to like be surprised by too. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, so drew let's kick this off. 
how what how do you first of all how did you feel about get out and and how do you feel about us so i think walking out of us i was really conflicted i'm like did i like that better or did i like that worse than get out and i feel like it's it's kind of hard to compare them because they're very different movies and i think we can talk about that like there's something interesting that i find about the structure of these two where like you walk into us and knowing, like, based off the trailer, you know, like, the very basic scenario that's set up, like, okay, it's a home invasion movie, but the people invading are, like, the same people that live in the house. In Get Out, you watch the trailer, you're like, it's a racism horror movie, I think? Yeah. And yeah. as Get Out progresses, you, like, it's like a puzzle being put together, and then by the end, like, you get what's going on. Um, but with us, like, you learn what's happening, but in learning what's happening... It just like completely unravels and you leave with way more questions than you went in. Not that that's a bad thing, um, but I feel like they're very different in that regard. And I keep going back and forth because I've had time to think about us. And I I might like Get Out more. I feel like Get Out achieves what it goes out to do with a little – it's a way more precise movie and a way more like tight movie. Um, I think Us is a little messy, but I also think Us is like infinitely more ambitious and like a lot of the technical aspects are improved greatly over get out um but either way like i think they're both fantastic movies and i'm really curious to see where jordan peele goes uh moving forward yeah i agree completely i think that i like get out a little bit more because it's weird because even though it is his first film it it feels like a movie that um is a little bit better constructed as far Mm -hmm. as the narrative goes the writing um the the dialogue us is i think it's ambitious as 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 any movie that you'll you'll see it has some huge um grand ideas about what it wants to be and i think it falls short for the most part in completing those goals but one thing i can really appreciate about us um you know uh get out was on your nose it was was on the nose we knew exactly Mm -hmm. what it was about uh, and it was about something a little bit different. It wasn't about, you know, it wasn't a low hanging fruit, like white, um, r- racism coming from the white, right. It wasn't about, you know, fascism or the, uh, or Nazis or anything that is just, it's, it's easy to critique. It was about racism coming from the the left and the, uh, particularly the, the white progressive left. And, uh, that was just s- such an interesting critique and something that, um, I thought was um, ballsy on Jordan Peele's behalf, and uh, it was very well thought out, and it was so well done. And then um, us, I I think is completely ambiguous as far as what it's saying about culture and politics and race. Um, I don't think I mean I'm sure he has an idea what he's trying to say, but he left it so open ended uh, for the spectator to kind of fill in the, the holes any way they, they want. And that can be good and bad, but the what I appreciate about it is anything that you take away that film is possibly something that you could apply to your own life. If you see something in there that you're like, oh, I don't like that, then maybe you should look in the mirror. And I think that that has uh, something to, to, a lot to say about the movie, uh, uh, about doppelgangers and us in the U.S. and America and looking in the mirror. Um, mm-hmm. So... Whereas Get Out was a lot more on the nose, this is completely ambiguous, and that's one thing I really liked about Us. And I think that says a lot about Jordan Peele as a filmmaker, too, because I think both Get Out and Us are kind of movies, unless you don't like horror, I think Us is way more of a horror movie than Get Out, but I think 
most people like you can enjoy us and ghetto on like several different levels like you can watch them like okay i'm literally going to take away exactly what happens specifically in the movie and still get like an entertaining thriller horror out of it um and i think with us i think the big mistake a lot of people online are making about it, a lot of the people who are like super negative on it are trying to pick apart literally what's happening like it doesn't make sense that there's a whole like society of cloned people underground <laughs> and the second like don't overthink this movie like yeah. the second you start trying to literally pick it apart it falls apart and i don't think it's i think it's really interesting that there's a movie now and like us kind of spills its guts towards the end like there's a lot of expository dialogue and i think it's necessary because i i feel like i kind of get what message he's going for in it like i think it does have i think i haven't seen that a second time but i think on further viewings its message and moral um becomes a little more would become a little more apparent um but yeah, I think it's it's really impressive of him as a filmmaker to like, yeah, I'm also making an art house horror movie that can be picked apart for for years and years. And I think both of these movies walking out um, kind of had the feeling of like, yeah, this is going to be a classic. This is kind of a timeless movie that people are going to be talking about for a really long time. I agree. And actually, actually, so I like Get Out, like I said, a little bit better as a film. I think like I said, mm-hmm. it's a little better constructive. But I think that Us is going to have uh, legs. Not that Get Out won't, but I feel like Us is going to be something that people are going to talk about. I feel like the more people see it, <clears throat> the more if it comes to Netflix or Amazon, and people can rent it, bring it home, and watch it multiple times. I'm with you. Like I think um, it, it's a movie that I can't wait to see again. Yeah. Um, Get Out, I was kind of like, uh, I don't know if I need to see it again right away. Um, it's definitely a movie I've watched, you know, a couple times. But it wasn't a movie that I was like, I can't wait to get home and watch this again. Or, or you know, I want to take my wife to see it. Uh, you know, the, Us is the opposite of that. I think Us is thoroughly entertaining. And you mentioned the twists. Uh, you know, the, the, the twists are... Uh, I wouldn't say that you're completely blind to them. Uh, he, no, le- not at all. he leaves hints along the way. This is definitely, uh, I was, I wasn't completely shocked. Uh, but at the same time I was like, he actually went there. Good for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that as a, as a director, Jordan Peele, um, is conscious of the audience. And I know I've heard, I've heard and read things, people saying like, don't try to please the audience. Don't, you know, make the movie that you want to make. But he, he's a fan of film. He's, he's admitted it. He's admitted, you know, that Kubrick and Hitchcock and all these people have influenced him. And, uh, I think it shows in his movies. He knows as a fan of film, what is good viewing and what's not. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think it kind of goes back to like, yeah, they're ultimately crowd pleasing movies. But I think he has such a distinct voice and a voice that like a lot of people can get something out of that he can kind of do whatever he wants. And I also think it's really impressive that like he was a household name, like people like Key and Peele, um, people like him as a person, like even before Get Out came out. But he made one movie and then like immediately us was like, yeah, this movie's going to do huge numbers based off of his name alone. And for a director too, like a lot of people don't follow film. Like, oh, I'm going to see this director's new movie. Like, no, I'm going to see that because the trailer looks fun. Like, yeah, the trailer for us looked fun, but also having his name attached to it this early on in his career and having that put butts in seats is like super impressive. I totally agree. And I think that, um, uh, one thing that should be said is Lupita Nyong'o's performance is off the charts. It's probably the best performance I've seen this year. I know it's early. We're only in the first quarter. But her performance blew me away. Playing two characters and 
two characters that are on the high extreme uh, opposites of each other um, in terms of of intensity, where you're playing someone who's menacing and threatening, and then on the other side, someone who's scared and vulnerable, like, uh, but has to be strong. And it, I just I thought it was a tremendous performance on her on her her part. And I don't know very many actresses who could have pulled it off with the skill that she does. Definitely, and I think everybody in this movie does a really great job. Everyone in the family, especially the young boy. Um, I don't know the actor's name, but like his performance is super physical too. Like the way yeah. his doppelganger like, crawls around on the floor is just like really disturbing. Like the daughter, the way she, she smiles, like her doppelganger smiles throughout the movie is all, it's just like really um, unsettling. And that brings me to another, probably like my biggest negative with this movie is that it's definitely going for more of like a horror feel than get out and it's like more of a straight up horror movie but i feel like jordan peele's uh comedic sensibilities kind of undercut that a lot interesting okay it feels like the script was like one revision away from like actually being like really scary but a lot of times it's like a really horrifying scene playing out and it's like oh here's a funny quip um like i think the dad's character was really funny but like there were a lot of times where like when when the family's standing in the driveway and he goes out with a baseball bat, like the scene that's in the trailer, but there's a couple more lines of dialogue there. Like every single one of them is supposed to land as a joke. And you as the audience, having seen the trailer, know what's about to happen. And it kind of like takes away any, like it's it's a tense scene, but I feel like it could be elevated to another level with like maybe three of those jokes taken out. You can leave two of them. Like I'm not saying that it can't be, there can't be uh, comic relief in the movie, but it feels like it's almost failing at being a horror comedy at some times um, in a way. Yeah, I definitely don't think. See, I, I didn't think that the jokes landed particularly well at all. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and to me, it wasn't distracting because I was definitely I was on the edge of my seat waiting for what's going to happen next. And it felt like it felt honestly. I by the end of the movie, I was surprised that everyone made it because it felt like someone was going to die. Uh, the yeah. dad felt expendable, and I'm surprised that he survived the entire film. And I think that probably says something about uh, the film itself. But I. I honestly, like, I was on the edge of my seat the whole time, um, and I, you know, I think, I think that you're right, the, the comedy element, um, is very tricky to pull off in a, in a movie like this, a horror movie, um, and I don't think he completely knows when to interject that humor yet, I think he'll figure it out, um, Mm -hmm. but I'm with you, it wasn't, it didn't. It didn't come off super good in this in this in this movie. And I will say that I don't think the horror elements were very well done either. Um, the tension is fine. The the underlying tension and some of the more creepy aspects of just the the, the d- details, the scissors, the um, the suits, the um, the like you said, the smile, the physicality of the boy crown. Those things are really good. But yeah. I never. I was never scared or I, I, I was never like, uh, the movie wasn't off putting mentally, uh, in a, in, in a, in the way that get out could, could be it. Sometimes the, 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 the idea, you know, and get out of, of having your, basically your mind removed. That's freaking yeah. terrifying. Uh, there's nothing in this movie that really I found terrifying. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think after, um, the family leaves the original, like the initial house that they're in. It becomes a little bit more of like kind of like a thriller, almost. I don't want to call it an action movie, 
But and there are still tense moments after that. But it's way less concerned about being a horror movie and way more concerned about kind of like setting up this allegory that it's trying to create. Because I think ultimately, and I'm not trying to like get into the broad implications of this movie, but it, I there's like three levels of like classes of people in this movie. There's like Tim Heidecker's family, who's like clearly the upper class, then Lupita's family, who's like the middle class, mm-hmm. and then her character having swift, uh, switched with the doppelganger in that fun house on the beach as a kid is kind of like, oh, so she like came up from the lower class into the middle class and like, but knows what it's like down there. Right. And then her, the original version of her who got sw- uh, swapped as a child, knowing the life that she could have, but knowing like where she's stuck now and kind of that driving her for like, okay, yeah, we need to revolt. We need to like rise up. Yeah. Um, I think it's way more concerned than like, okay, we need this to become a parent. And I think another complaint, a lot of, I've seen a lot of people, uh, kind of leverage against this movie. It's like, oh yeah, it just like show, don't tell show, don't tell. But I think for what this movie's trying to get across, if you don't show that twist of like her being swapped as a kid, um, it would require some like, like seven rewatches to like yeah. <laughs> yeah. slowly figure that out. And for like, like, no, I think that's definitely what's going on. Yeah. They hint at it. Like, oh yeah. When, uh, after she comes out of the haunted house, like the doppelganger originally comes out, she's not talking or, um, mm. Like, or her doppelganger being the only one who can speak. The rest of them just, like, talk in grunts and moans. Right. It, like, it's definitely hinted at, but I don't think it would be extremely apparent unless it was, like, well laid out. Um, oh, I completely agree with that. That, that I, I, it's clunky. I, I get where people complain about being clunky, but you, uh, there's no need to make that part ambiguous. And, no, not at all. and I think that. He does. He he. Does, I mean, this is. There are a million movies who have done what he did, and to complain about it, um, you're just nitpicking. Mm-hmm. And I think people want to like. I think that's also coming from a place of like, yeah, I want to be contrarian because everyone likes this movie. Um, I don't think it's a movie without faults. I know, like we've mentioned plenty of them. Um, but in terms of like a blockbuster, also being a good film because it's a blockbuster. Like I don't think anybody's going to deny that. But in terms of also having, like, serious artistic merit, like, you have to take it as it is. And, like, it's really impressive that this movie is made and that it's making as much money as it is. Um, And, yeah, not every horror movie can be, like, killing a sacred deer. Like, it also has to entertain general audiences. Right, yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing is if we want to get – and I think you agree with me. We want movies like Us Made. We want oh, absolutely. We want creators like Jordan Peele to make movies. They're going to be – they're going to have – there just has to be some sacrifices uh, to be made in, in, in that. And I – you know, I – I understand the complaints, like you said, and I, I, I have, I have some, and I, I have some that I agree with, and some that I can look past, you know. But, you know, I think that it's important to understand that, in order to get, you know, a movie like Us made, or Get Out, like. You, 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 he can't, he can't make Killing of a Sacred Deer. Like that's yeah, just no. a point. You no. just can't. You can't. Because- or even something like. Like, the first movie that I thought of after I saw Us was, like, Hereditary and the way it, like, yeah. foreshadows and, like, kind of lays everything out, obviously, at the end. Um, and I think Hereditary, like, failed at being a crowd pleaser because, um, like, that movie is really divisive. And I think Us is, like, it's a pretty unanimously liked movie by most people who saw it. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, I think I, it's kind of similar to that vein. 
I loved Hereditary, but I would never recommend that movie to anyone because it is divisive. And there are people who and are... And it's also so much darker than, uh, yeah, yeah. than us. <laughs> it's, yes, very, very, very dark. Um, so, well, I want to talk a little bit about that ending scene, um, mm-hmm. uh, the fight, the, 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 finale, the finale fight. Um, and then I want to talk about the future of Jordan Peele. Um, so that scene where she's fighting, they're fighting, I thought it was brilliantly choreographed i loved I every moment of that scene um i think it's a master class on on direction and editing uh and choreography i uh, need to know how that scene was shot because obviously it's the same person doing the movements for both characters unless they did some like amazing makeup and like uh stunt double work which i don't think they did um i that is like endlessly fascinating to me i agree i i was I was in awe. I wanted to hit rewind and watch it again because I was just fascinated and how he how he did that and how he pulled it off. That's yeah. one, I cannot wait for that movie to come out on DVD or streaming. So because I, I want to see behind the scenes on how that was how that was achieved. Yeah. No, it's it's really impressive. Um, and like it's a really extended sequence too, and just how like precise all the movements are. Mm-hmm. Like if you're just laying like, oh, we film Lupita as like the the normal, not human, but like the normal. Well, above ground version of her, like swinging and missing every time. Then her doppelganger, like moving very precisely. It is, it's kind of incredible what they managed to do with that. Um, and I think like that scene. I mean, like you can't award individual scenes, but that's like front runner for the scene of the year so far. I think it is incredibly well done. Yeah, and um, and I honestly was a little surprised by the ending of it, of how it ended. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know. God, uh, you got to feel for that, f- for the character because she's choked. She was choked unconscious when she was well, what at seven and yes. dragged into the pits of hell. And then she's choked to death and stabbed through the chest. I mean, God, yeah. that, that is just, it was, that is just horrific for that character. Um, what did I you think? think? So sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, I think ahead. what's really interesting about her character is that, like or about both characters that like a lot of people the takeaway might be like oh wow so she was evil the whole time but like neither of them are evil like it's a very like weirdly gray area with like okay so she was a normal kid who was went through some awful traumatic experience and lived her entire life knowing that like yeah i could have had like a normal existence but instead are like and plunged into this awful hellish underworld where like oh everyone's like kind of doing the same thing but it's not quite there um and i think it's a really interesting character to have um written movie i don't know i think it's really cool yeah that's an uh, yeah so when you were talking about you know the three the three classes and the three levels uh, you know that what you just said is an interesting part of it that i thought of is like you know it's easy to view the people coming from underground as evil but Mm -hmm. they are they have been oppressed and so they're striking out and so i think there's a lot of there's some allegory to be dug up there it's like and you know it's like they but they they view the people above ground as as being evil but they were blind maybe they were blind by choice maybe they didn't realize these people existed but there is some really uh i think there's some ambiguity to like who is a villain in this movie and who is just trying to survive and i think that is important and Um, like the idea that the people coming from underground are like they're 
kind of forced to fight if they want like a, a decent existence and then like the family in the middle fights because they have to like maintain what they already have and then the upper class family who's like their, their existence is miserable like um elizabeth moss's and tim heidecker's character just like hate each other they have this loveless marriage right like their existence is really privileged and they're just taken out instantly without like any struggle um, yeah. i think is a really interesting uh kind of thing to start poking at um uh, what did you real quick before i just i, I want to what did you think of elizabeth moss's performance in, in this um i think it worked in like because her character is completely insufferable and but like that's definitely the point but i think this scene right before she's killed where she's like she's like looking at the mirror crying putting on the lip gloss yes i think it's a really really well done scene that, I think that's a really amazing moment um, because it kind of touches up the similar thing of like, oh, the people from below ground know what they could be having. And it's like she gets that moment for a second and like, I think she's taking out with like a lamp or something. Yeah. Um, I think the whole scene in uh, Tim Heidecker's house is actually really well done. So do I. Because uh, it, it starts and like, uh, like, oh, why is this family being introduced again? Like there's probably someone's going to get killed definitely, but you don't know how it's going to happen. And then that kind of introduces like, oh, no, they're way more doppelgangers than you think. And like. That's when the movie, when it's uh, when the scope widens a lot. Yeah, I that I love that scene honestly. That was probably one of uh, when the movie like really took off for me. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, I, I'm glad you said that about Liz because honestly, at the beginning part, I'm like, I'm like, what? She, if this is always see Elizabeth Moss, this is completely wasted, and I was really confused about yeah. her being in this movie. But uh, obviously, we we know why and what happens, and I. I thought it was brilliant use of her. Um, she was really good. And, um, and it, it, honestly, I, I think, um, uh, Tim Heidecker was, was fabulous too. Um, when he like, he like comes down the stairs as the doppelganger and like fluffs his hair to the side and puts his hands he on his waist. Reaches his hand out. Yeah. <laughs> and then just, fakes out. I think it's like Tim Heidecker is definitely playing himself, but it's really like, I like, Tim and Eric a lot. I like mm-hmm. seeing Tim Heidecker in a more serious role in like a bit more of a, um, like a prestige movie instead of like, Oh, it's like the Tim and Eric movie or like, yeah. these, like, I, I don't know. It was cool to see him kind of just do his thing in a big budget movie. I definitely agree. Um, anything else you want to say about us before we talk about Jordan Peele? Um, I don't think so. I think we touched at basically everything I wrote down. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm glad that we, we I got to talk this with, with uh, talk about this with you um, because I think that we both enjoyed it on different levels. I think you probably liked it a little bit more than I did, but um, I think we both agree that this was. Uh, it, I mean, I think it's probably the. Uh, probably, you, I mean, I haven't seen Paddleton, which I've heard good things about, and you liked, but I think this is the best movie I've seen this year. Oh yeah, no, that's definitely like it's been a pretty rough year so far in terms of like major releases. Yeah. Um, and this was kind of the movie, like, okay, yeah, no, there are good movies coming out this year, like, because you kind of forget, like, January and February, because there's a lot of nothing. Yeah, a lot of um, crap. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I think it was a a good kickoff to, like, the the actual films of the year, <laughs> and, like, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to see what else comes out. Um. All right, so, I, just real quick before we, we sign off, I want to talk a little about Jordan Peele. Um, have you watched any of the Twilight Zone stuff that he did? I haven't, which is surprising because I'm a really big Twilight Zone fan. Um, like the original 50s and 60s run. I haven't seen too much of like the 80s and 2000s reboot. Um, and I don't really want to pay for CBS's streaming service. I know there's like one episode on YouTube, 
and I'll check it out soon. Um, but I'm very curious to see what he does with it because I think he's like the perfect choice for it because Get Out and Us both have like very Twilight Zone-y aspects yeah, to them. Right. Especially with like, because Twilight Zone, the original Twilight Zone was like a very socially charged TV show. Um, and I think a lot of the stuff that he's done with Us and Get Out are similarly socially charged. So I definitely think he's a good choice. Oh, 100% agree with that. Yeah. Um, so I've seen both episodes and, um, yeah. I, you know, I... I I'm 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 not going to say anything as far as um, what I feel about the episodes. Uh, I liked one significantly more than the other, um, but I think this. I think he is the perfect person to do this. I think uh, one, he's going to put actors and writers and creators uh, that wouldn't normally get the opportunity to shine in a place to shine. And um, I think that that's just as important as um, the quality of the content at this point. It is annoying that it's on CBS All Access, which is a garbage platform. Just, it's so frustrating that... I'll probably wait till more is out and then just, like, get a trial or something or, like, paper. is what I would... And just watch all of it at once. That Um, is what I would highly recommend you doing. Yes, that is a great idea, Drew. Um, (laughs) One interesting thing about Twilight... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. One thing I'm curious to see is, like, Black Mirror is really successful right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Black Mirror owes a lot of its success to the Twilight Zone. Like, it's clearly very inspired by the Twilight Zone. And I'm curious to see how this differentiates itself. Because, like, obviously, um, Black Mirror is like, oh, my God, what if your computer could hear you? Um, And it's like every episode is kind of uh, getting its, like, horror or, like, it's a... it's concepts out of like fear of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of does that every time. Like Twilight Zone is a little more heady science fiction, or it can get like that. So I'm curious to see. I'm just curious to see how it differentiates differentiates itself from feeling. Oh, it's just another black mirror. Uh, yeah. I so the episode two, and this is not a spoiler, uh, <laughs> is a oh god. Um, it one of the the central storylines is um, the main character is listening to a podcast that is revealing his future. So okay, just leave that there. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll see. Um, I know, but I'm looking forward to Jordan Peele as a movie director. I'm looking forward to his uh, collaborations um, with with some some of these creators and these writers um i do you so i love i love peel and key, uh, key and peel mm-hmm. but i want him to stay in this genre i love horror movies i think he is has a deft hand at at this at directing these movies um and i really hope that this is a genre that he stays in that that's my like view he's, he's also said stuff but like oh he has like after Get Out came out as a guy, I have like a quote unquote trilogy in mind of these like social thrillers. Um, so we'll see what he does after that. But it, he definitely has one more planned off of what he said. And, you know, whatever he does out from there. But like he has his own production company now. Like Blumhouse like had a hand in um, us. Like they're credited for it. But, like he has Monkey Paw now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so hope, hopefully he sticks with it because I think he's a really unique voice. And like there's a lot of awful horror movies that come out. So it's nice to see, like, because I think it's a genre that can be really great, and it isn't capitalized on enough. No, um, so I'm I, curious I agree. to see. What it. Well, so uh, and 
so I'm looking at his IMDb, uh, what's uh, tied to him. And right now, I don't, I don't know if this is true, but Candyman, the, uh, 19, I think is 92 horror film. Um, he is tabbed to write, not direct, but write. Um, okay. so that uh, he's not directing that, but that, that's interesting. Um, uh, and he doesn't have anything on the docket to, to direct, I would be interested in seeing him direct someone else's material. I feel like he's already kind of established himself as a little bit of an auteur with Get mm-hmm. Out and like because like both of his movies so far have a very distinct feel to him and like right even like he's kind of established like a flavor for his movies even after two like you're like okay yeah that feels like a Jordan Peele movie, um so like I know like another another director who has a very similar style that's like done a lot recently is Yorgos Lanthimos. And, like, The Favorite was a movie that he didn't write, yet it still felt a lot like Killing of a Sacred Deer and the Lobster. Um, so I, I think he could pull it off. Um, but, yeah, no, that's definitely that's definitely an interesting uh, question. To... Well, I just think that a lot of times, like, um, directors, uh, it's a good reset. So I'm thinking, um, so famously, M. Night Shyamalan had a really tough time directing things that he did not write. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But then... You know, he did The Visit or The Visitors and um, it wasn't a great movie, but it got him out of director jail. Um, And um, most recently, Damien Chazelle with um, First Man, you know, that's true. And I uh, First Man is probably in a lot of people's opinion, his weakest movie because it one, it didn't get nominated and he got nominated for everything else with Whiplash and and La La Land. But I thought First Man's direction was freaking fantastic. It was. And I also... I feel like it definitely felt like a it felt like a natural continuation of like the themes that Whiplash and La La Land handled mm-hmm. of like oh failure and like sacrificing uh, like personal that's a great point um like relationships for this like, like oh I I want to be the best at what I do um so I feel like it felt like a Damien Chazelle movie um it just didn't have like music yeah right. it wasn't about music like yeah. I feel like he he kind of shot himself in the foot by doing two jazz movies to start out right. Yeah, got pinholed as the jazz guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, you know, so I, I, I see what you're saying, though. And hopefully, if maybe a script will come along and Jordan Peele will be like, I want to direct that. Hopefully, mm-hmm. he has that kind of clout, too, where he can dictate um, whether or not, you know, he chooses to do uh, a project or not. Hopefully, he doesn't ever have to, have to feel like he needs to continue the, and build off the success of these two movies because, you know... <laughs> Every director, even of course Spielberg, has made a lot of garbage. But uh, in recent years, but you know, even in his heyday, you know, he had flops. Directors have movies that aren't maybe as good or successful. Um, it's it's really hard to be this this good all the time. So, but hopefully, he has a continued success because I I love his eye for direction and his ability to build a thriller. And he's definitely lucky because like he's not really in the like the studio circuit. At this point in his career, right. which yeah. like, is probably really good for him, just like kind of be able to do whatever he wants, because like with his own production company, nobody's really going to tell him no. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. As long as his movies keep making money, people will throw money at him. Like, hey, I'm Jason Blum. Make like seven movies, please. Yeah, because um, yeah. as long as they're successful, like, why would they not? No, I agree. Uh, well, Drew, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Call to Pop. Thanks for thanks for coming on, man. It's been a real absolute real pleasure. Thank uh, you for having me. Uh, hopefully we'll, we'll have you on in the future and, um, 
we can we can talk about movies and anything else you want to talk about. Um, is there anything that you want to plug before we, we get out of here? Um, I do have a podcast. I haven't posted an episode in a couple months, but it's called I Want the Truth. We talk about like movies that are based off of true stories and kind of, in theory, pick them apart. Um, we have an episode planned, but we haven't recorded it yet, so... Be on the lookout for another one of those. We have six episodes out now. It's on iTunes and every other. Not, it's not on Spotify because that costs money. But it's on everything free. Um, I have that. That's about it. Well, that's it. Um, I, I recommend listening to the podcast. You've gotten significantly better as time's gone gone on. Um, thank you. Thank you. Just like anything, uh, practice. And you're a smart dude, so I'm sure it'll just keep getting better. It took Colin and I like 98 episodes before we were good. Um <laughs> Uh, if you if you haven't already, please uh, go to Twitter and follow at Cult of Pop at Cult of Pop. Uh, go to Facebook.com slash Cult of Pop. Follow us there. Uh, be on the lookout for the website launch. We have a website right now. It's complete garbage, uh, but I promise sometime in the next uh, 12 to 18 months we'll have a good running live uh, a website. So um, yeah, I think that's going to do it for this episode. We'll uh, look forward to talking again, Drew, and uh, we're out. Thank you.